Hi there, it's Matt here and welcome back to the show and thanks again for tuning in and listening to these. Now, in the last episode, we spoke about the diagnosis of insomnia. But let's take a step back for a second and let's ask a more fundamental prelude question. How on earth do you find yourself arriving at the destination of this thing called insomnia? Well, that is the topic of today's episode. Why does someone develop insomnia? And then second, when they do develop it, when insomnia has sort of taken root, as it were, what makes things even worse? In other words, what is adding sort of petrol or uh, what you would say in America, what is adding gasoline fuel to the sleep disorder fire of insomnia and only making it rage more powerfully? These are very two complex questions, but thankfully, and through lots of great science and wonderful great scientists, we do now have a conceptual model explaining how it is that you may find yourself falling into the pit of insomnia, as it were. And this conceptual model involves a stepping stone chain of events that has you sort of tumbling down into the disorder of insomnia. And when I say stepping stone, what I mean is that there is a three-part sort of knock-on cascade that leads to insomnia. And the model is actually called the three P's model. And those three P's are the following. Number one, predisposing factors. Number two, precipitating factors. And finally, number three, perpetuating factors. I know, I bet you feel utterly confused because all of those three P words sound near identical to each other. And it's easy to get lost in the fact that they all sound very similar. So let me unpack it and see if I can add some disambiguating clarity to the 3P model. Let's start at the beginning with the first of those Ps, which is predisposing. This means that you are someone who is more innately prone or more liable, as it were, or perhaps a better word is more vulnerable to insomnia to begin with. And a good example of a predisposing factor is genes. Because we know that there are certain types of genes that play a non-trivial role in your risk for the development of insomnia. And to give you a sense of that, we have discovered, for example, that insomnia shows a genetic heritability of somewhere between 28 to 45%, if you read all of the literature, in terms of the transmission rate from parent to child. So if one or both of your parents had insomnia, then there is a predisposing higher risk that you could develop insomnia. Now, I was very careful with my word there. I said could rather than will develop insomnia. And I say could because of the second P of the model, which we'll get to in just a second. But 
Suffice it to say, however, that genes are, when it comes to insomnia at least, not deterministic. And what I mean is that they are not an absolute guarantee of whether you will or you will not develop the condition. It's simply that these genes make you statistically more predisposed, hence the first P word, more likely, more vulnerable to developing insomnia. Does that make sort of some sense and explain the idea of, with an example of what a predisposing factor is? I hope so. I know <laughs> I asked that question, by the way, as if I'm expecting some kind of answer to magically come out of the microphone as I'm recording this. But anyway, I hope it does make some better sense. So um, focus, Matthew. That's predisposing factors that make an individual from the get-go more prone to developing insomnia. The podcast today is supported by Masterclass. Masterclass is the online streaming platform where anyone can learn from the world's best and you can learn on topics such as cooking and business and art, entertainment, writing, sports. Uh, what else is that? I think there's science, there's health, of course, and there's technology. So when you sign up, you get access to all of the masterclasses. And when I talk about masters, we're talking about people such as Martin Scorsese, Venus Williams, Gordon Ramsay, Steph Curry, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Timbaland, Ron Howard. Um, oh, there's also Bill Clinton. And these are naming just a few of the ones that are my favorites, at least. <laughs> You may even find a masterclass from a familiar sleep scientist on there. So if you're curious, and I mean that innately, that you have a thirst for learning like me, then head on over to masterclass.com forward slash Matt Walker. And that's masterclass, all one word, masterclass.com forward slash Matt Walker. And you will get a discount when you sign up as well. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. The second P is precipitating. Now, just because someone is predisposed to developing insomnia, it doesn't mean that they will develop insomnia. Something else usually has to come along and act almost like a finger that flicks the first domino to cause the chain reaction development of insomnia. These are what we call the precipitating factors. And by the way, since I, I love words, the term precipitate comes from the Latin root of pre-sipitat, which means thrown headlong into something. I think that's a, that's a good description of what a precipitating factor is. It's a trigger. It's going to push you headlong towards this thing called an insomnia disorder. Now, as an example of what a precipitating factor could be, let's think about bereavement or you've just gone through a really bad breakup in a relationship or you're experiencing really significant stress at work or through some interpersonal conflict. Those things are very well known to be the types of triggers that can push someone over the threshold in terms of instigating insomnia. 
In other words, those can be the triggers. Those are the fingers that I've been talking about that flick and start the domino cascade leading to an eruption of insomnia. The final P refers to perpetuating factors. So let's think about the patient here. So once they've developed insomnia, once insomnia has its grip on them, what are the things that only make it worse? What are the things that are only going to strengthen that grip of insomnia on that person? And since I just mentioned um, we love words on this podcast, just as an FYI, as an aside, and perpetuate the word actually comes from the Latin root derivative of perpetus, meaning to continue or to make permanent. And I think that, again, is a good sort of conceptual idea of what I'm trying to speak about here with perpetuating factors, things that will only continue the condition, things that will only make it even more permanent, as it were. But thankfully, as we'll learn in the episode on treatments, insomnia does not have to be permanent, not by any stretch of the imagination. But so as not to stray down any more detours, let's go back to the higher level then. So if genes are an example of a predisposing factor, and let's say a breakup or a divorce are examples of the precipitating factors, things that will then trigger you, so you're more predisposed because you may have genetics, but then that doesn't mean you'll get it. But then these triggers come along, these precipitating factors that add to the predisposing factors that can instigate the first occurrence of insomnia, then what would be an example of something that only makes it worse? So that once it's developed, what are things that will then perpetuate your insomnia, adding sort of that combustible fuel to the fire? Well, one example would be eating or drinking the wrong things. And we've spoken in a previous episode all about optimizing your sleep, these types of sleep hygiene rules or tips, as it were. And one good example of a perpetuating factor would be having alcohol in the evening or using alcohol in the evening as a sedative. Or let's say drinking too much caffeine during the day because you're so tired with insomnia, you need to boost yourself up with more caffeine, which only then perpetuates your insomnia the following night. Or even THC, which is involved in cannabis, that can also lead to far worse sleep. And don't worry, I know that I just sort of throw that out there as a fact. I'm actually going to do a whole episode or probably even two or three episodes all about cannabis, THC, and CBD. So just sort of sit tight with the knowledge that I will explain why THC isn't the best thing, and it's certainly not the best thing if you're suffering from uh, insomnia. It can be another one of those perpetuating factors. But anyway, these are all prime examples of when the fact of insomnia has taken hold of you naturally, by the way, I should note, just as an aside, it's so understandable that when you're suffering from insomnia, you would reach out for the quote-unquote help of alcohol or trying to use the crutch of THC. I completely understand that. No judgment whatsoever here. It's simply that these are what we've now discovered to be perpetuating factors 
they're only going to make matters worse. So this model then is one way that we commonly think about the question, why on earth does someone ultimately develop insomnia to begin with? And then what are the things that they're doing that keeps them locked in this terrible prison of insomnia each and every night? And I hope explaining this model allows you to think perhaps more clearly about why it is that you may have developed insomnia or someone that you know has developed insomnia. You can go back through those three Ps and think about it and sort of moving yourself or that person through those. And it's proven immensely useful in science and in clinical practice in terms of answering those two fundamental questions that we started the episode with. <laughs> but like all good science, every answer only leads to the next even more fascinating question. And it's no different here in terms of insomnia. What I mean is that this three-part model does not tell you anything about the underlying physiological changes that ultimately cause insomnia. So to put that another way, what has biologically gone wrong in insomnia? Now that is a critical question and we have to answer it because if we don't understand that question, then we can't develop medical treatments for insomnia without knowing the underlying biological mechanism. <laughs> well, thankfully, we now have some utterly remarkable scientific answers when it comes to answering the question, what has gone wrong biologically for an insomnia patient? I'm going to explain all of those things in the next two episodes in this mini-series on insomnia. But for now, I will simply say good night. I will then tell you just how grateful I am that you tune in and listen to this podcast. I really, I really am. I'm so grateful. So thanks again and take care. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.